Greetings this evening, dearly beloved, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be in your presence again and the presence of the Lord and uh, with God's people. And uh, for all you that uh, are coming in for the evening, we want to give a special welcome to you as well. Thank you for coming out tonight. God bless you. And then, you dear youth, thank you for your worshipful, like David's praise and worshipful music. I'm convinced that that kind of music will drive out demons just as it did in David's life. Amen, young people? Amen. Amen. So God bless you as well. Well, tonight uh, I had been asked on Tuesday morning I th or afternoon to bring a message, the yes in uh, music and media. And I asked the administration here, I said, that, those are two, two big subjects to put into one message. So I did ask them if I could address the media aspect tonight. And so that's where I'm going tonight. If you remember, uh, for the youth now, the first slide, I had a picture of, who were they, young people, right here? Joseph and David, yes. And we have been looking at David's life as a young man and how he, the Lord had prepared him to do a work for him. Well, tonight I am going to take a glimpse at Joseph for you young people in addressing, yes, the subject is the bigger yes in purity and media. And thank you to the administration here, the committee, and allowing me to make this one separate. Uh, I think we can better address it, even though I don't feel qualified. Let's pray before I begin. Again, I feel the need of prayer. Father, here we are together in the pulpit of God. I pray in Jesus' name. You would come in your sweetness and your grace and your goodness and your power, and you would put your hand upon your servant. Anoint me, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, I unashamedly confess that you tell me that without you, I can do nothing. So here am I, Lord. Stand with me in the pulpit of God. Wash me in the blood. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness and myself. And speak through your servant. Open my mouth. Loose my tongue, dear Lord. And anoint me that I may prophesy your word and all that you have to say by your spirit to your church that's gathered here together tonight. That we would go the right way and we would be pleasing you in all areas of our lives, even in the non-expedient areas. Lord, I pray you would help me. And may we have ears to hear, Lord, what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church today, tonight. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Joseph. Joseph. I have learned over the years in my travels in so many different countries and places and doing frequent youth conferences, and I'm bringing along those of you that are coming in, that 
the more effective way of doing teaching rather than just taking a principle from the New Testament, as good as that is, and uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, and preaching on it, there's some value in taking these principles out of a Bible character, especially a young man who has lived the principle aforetime. Even in the Old Testament, like we did the music with David. And tonight, we're going to take Joseph. Yes, but before we get into it, I want to put some a number of scriptures that are overarching on the principle that we want to be looking at tonight. And the first one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, and it had many carnal issues. We already heard that. He wanted to speak to them as spiritual, but he said, I cannot. They're carnal. I'm not saying you're carnal here tonight. I'm trying to get a principle. And uh, the principle is in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. Paul says this to the church at Corinth and to the church gathered together in Jesus' name here tonight. He says these words. All things... Let's uh, drop in at one prior verse, 22. Do not provoke the Lord to jealousy. Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let me just grab a principle out of here, and this is especially for you, dear, beloved young people. This is in the context of Christian liberty. We talked a lot about Christian liberty. Christian liberty really is to do what pleases the Lord and it I want to do it. I don't have to do it. I want to do it to please the Lord and to honor Him. We can live our lives on three different levels. Number one is in the unlawful or sinful. But then Paul takes it a step further and says, we can sacrifice or give up the unlawful things to please the Lord. But there's a third level. And this, dearly beloved young people, is where all three of us teachers have been going here again and again and again. And I want to help you see this. Here's the third level. From among the lawful things, they're lawful. You might say nothing wrong with them. But I sift through those lawful things carefully and diligently. And only those things which are spiritually profitable I choose to engage in in my life. In other words, the word non-expedient means it's not spiritually profitable. It has no spiritual profit for me and or to bless others. A genuine liberty that glorifies God. It always seeks the other's good. You see that in verse 24. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's good or wealth. Yes. So we want to feed and grow 
and mature the spiritual man. So we only want to engage or be part of things that have spiritual profitability. So we mature and grow into a mature Christ-like Christian. I told you before, and I'm going to say it again tonight. We are no more Christian than we are Christ-like. And to do that, we must feed the pro- feed on the profitable things spiritually that grow us and mature us. Whatsoever you do, he says, do all to the glory of God. That's where we're going in everything we do. And that's found in verse 31. Let me read it. Same chapter. What, whether we ye eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Dearly beloved friends and young people, there's some things that are not clearly spelled out in Scripture, perhaps. It's not perfectly clear. You look at it through the sieve of this principle. Is it spiritually profitable? Or I will use it only for spiritual profitability. And that I can grow in grace and knowledge and be a blessing to others and bring honor and glory to God by being a blessing to others. Yes, and that we see verse 33 yet. Death to self is the means to bring light and life to others. Death to self, Paul says, and I say amen, it's true. Back to that altar of sacrifice again. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. There's reason enough to go and evangelize tomorrow, isn't it? <laughs> yes, death to self. My will is the means to spiritual growth and bringing life to others, being a life giver. And that's where we're going tonight. There's one more verse that Paul warns us here in the book of 1 Corinthians as he writes to correct them. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Let me get this verse yet, then we'll get to Joseph. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Paul is speaking in the context to the Corinthians in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you. But, hallelujah, ye are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that name of the Lord Jesus, it just says Jesus, Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. Now, he says the same thing, but he has a little more added to it. He says this, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Not all things are spiritually profitable, spiritually profitable for my growth and my spiritual maturity and to become a life giver unto others. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, what is Paul saying? Even as he says, such were some of you, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're on the gospel road with the Lord Jesus Christ to be a life giver. What he is saying to them is, 
Be careful in all things that are lawful. There are those things that are lawful that can ensnare you. They can entrap you. They can become an addiction. I don't know of a better word. Maybe just an addiction or an ensnarement or an entrapment that will hinder you in becoming a life giver. And this is where we're going to go tonight. Media, internet media. It's very addictive, very ensnaring, very able to, I don't need to say more. But it's in that context, he doesn't go into media, of course not. He goes into sexual meats, food, and sexual desires. But I want to pull one more thing out of this chapter. Why is this so important? Paul, Paul says he beats his body under. And we need to do the same. But why? Verse 13. I'm just going to get the basic point. Number one. The body is not for ensnarement and entrapment and addiction, but it's for the Lord. Your body is not your own, dearly beloved brothers and sisters. It's for the Lord to dwell in and live in and bring life to, to be used of him. And that's the next point. Number two, your body, verse 15, are the members of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Your body is the member of Christ. Christ is the head, you are his body. That means you're his tongue, that means you're his hands, that means you're his feet, that means you're his voice. That's what it means. You're his body. It also means the whole body of Christ, of course, the church. You are his body to do the work that he did when he was here, and you will continue that work. Now you are his body. To do the work that he did. I took that right out of John 14. Things that I did, do, you will do also, he told his disciples. And greater things than these, <coughs> you will do. Wow, what a calling. Then he says, the third one, which we often hear, and amen and amen, that one's your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body is the temple, and which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Be careful, walk circumspectly, my brother, my sister. Do not be ensnared in any lawful thing. You can call it an addiction, whatever you want. Yes, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God your body, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen? I think we heard those verses before, didn't we? Yes. But get those three points, young people. You're not your own. Your body is for the Lord. Your body is a member of Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if you know your scripture, out of the temple flows rivers if you go back to Ezekiel, out of the temple flows rivers of living water. And that temple is not your body. You belong to the Lord. Now let's get to Joseph. Let's get to Joseph. That was just a preface to help us get a picture of where I'm going here tonight. 
we first of all, about, we know who Joseph is. Some of you young people ask if I'm going to speak any about Joseph. Well, just briefly here to get my point. Joseph, the youngest son of Jacob. Yeah, and Rachel, all of a sudden I get a man. That's right. Yeah. Of course. Yes, I thought so. Yes, he had many brothers, but they were all older than him. And Joseph, to get started on Joseph, there's some things we need to understand about Joseph. We know that Joseph had a double dream. And we also know, as Bible readers, that Pharaoh had a double dream. Now, there's something we need to understand about double dreams in Joseph's day. And here it is, Genesis chapter 41, verse 32. Let me grab that quickly. Here, Joseph is standing before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has had a double dream. And Joseph has just interpreted by the wisdom of God. He has interpreted Joseph. Pharaoh's double dream. And listen to what Joseph tells Pharaoh. Verse 32. And for that the that's in Genesis 41. And for that the dream was double unto Pharaoh twice. It is become the thing is established by God. And God will shortly bring it to pass. Brothers and sisters, Joseph's dream was also double. Joseph understood that that was a dream of, that came right from the heart of God for Joseph, just as it was also for Pharaoh. It is established by God, and it will shortly come to Pass. Now, all Joseph knows, and I'm thinking now about his dream, is that it's a dream of exaltation. Joseph does not know. He cannot read the end of the story like you and I do. But he knows that God is calling him to a work for him. Get that, young people. He's calling him. God has something for me. He don't understand where it'll be. He don't understand when it'll be. And there's many things he don't know. But he knows it's God has established it. And it's going to come to pass shortly. And so this, dearly beloved, for Joseph is exactly the same thing that was for David. Somewhere out there, David knew that God had a work for him. When did God, when did David know, young people, when did David learn that God had a work for him? From his, from his youth. It's exactly the same thing with Joseph. From their youth. Joseph and David. Wow. You don't need to wait, young people. David was anointed the hand of the Lord was upon him and the spirit of the Lord was upon him. And how old was he? 17. Young people, you don't need to wait till you're 30 years old for an anointing. David had it already at 17 years of age. Wow, an anointing of the Holy Ghost. 
Now the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, I know, but it's symbolic of being filled with the Spirit and anointed to do a work for him, okay? Let's go on with Joseph, though. Joseph knew his dream was established by God, and it would shortly come to pass. Yes, and that dream, brothers and sisters, all of us became a vision. Became a vision for Joseph. God has a work for me. Wow, I wonder what it is. I wonder where it's going to be. I wonder when it's going to be. We already know that his brothers became very envious and jealous of him. But it's the same way with you, dearly beloved young people. God is calling you to do a work for him. Same thing. Same thing as David. But that was a dream, brothers and sisters, that Joseph never forgot. You know the historical record. You know that he never forgot. Dream was a vision that was ever before Joseph from that day forward. God has a work for me. God promised me something that he's going to use. It's going to be a, a work of exaltation. My brothers are going to bow. Doubled. Wow. God has a work for me. Joseph set his heart for God so that he would not miss it and what God has for him. Joseph became very focused. Joseph made every choice and decision count into that purpose. God has a work for me. I'm encouraging you young people to do the same. Yes, it's a vision. I don't need to look at that verse. I'm going to keep moving. But where there's no vision, the people perish. But if they keep the law, happy is he. Yes, Joseph had a vision. For God. Well, that dream was ever before Joseph. I already said, said that. Every choice Joseph made channeled into that one single purpose. I'm going to keep my heart pure for God so I don't miss what he has for me. And I'm here to encourage you young people to do the same. Yes. So Joseph has this dream of Exaltation, yes. But there's something about Joseph that we need to understand that helps us get a little more of a glimpse of why and how Joseph kept his heart pure. Here it is. Joseph continued to speak to Pharaoh, and he gave Pharaoh some counsel. What he shall do, he shall put a man in charge and in the seven years of plenty shall store up all the corn and prepare for the, the, those seven years for the seven years of famine. And so he's laying this all out to Pharaoh and uh, Pharaoh's servants are there. Let's just drop in to, uh, let me just read it. Genesis 41, 34, let Pharaoh do this. And let him appoint officers over the land to take up with the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seventh plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh. And let them keep the food in the cities. And the food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt. And the, lest the land perish through the famine. And now verse 37, and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all his servants. Listen carefully 
what Pharaoh says. Testimony of Joseph. You remember David's one-line testimony, young people? One-liner? Remember the one-liner testimony? Yeah, God was with him was the most important part. That's right. Well, here's a one-line testimony from ungodly Pharaoh about Joseph. Here's what he says. And Pharaoh said in verse 38 unto his servants, Can we find such a man as this is a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Wow! Young people! Here stands Joseph in front of Pharaoh. An ungodly heathenistic king looks at Joseph and he knows Joseph is very, very different than his brothers. I said that before this week, didn't I? What makes him different? The Spirit of God is in him. Now, brothers and sisters, this is significant. This is huge. If my memory and my study is correct, this is the only Old Testament patriarch of faith that the Bible says in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was in him. That's huge. That's New Testament theology, isn't it? Vince, where are you? That's New Testament. I don't Ah, there you are. Is that New Testament theology? Yes. yes. Uh-huh. And the Spirit of God is in you. Amen? Amen? Very important to understand. Yes. The only Old Testament patriarch that the Scripture says the Spirit of God was in him. I don't really know if that's significant, but I really, I play on that one. That's New Testament theology. We already know that. How was it with David? Come on, young people, help me. How was it with the young people? Uh, yeah, with the young people. Yeah, how was it? How was it with David? The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, but like a garment, gave him power from the outside to do a special work. But when the Spirit of God is within, he works from the inside out to make us more and more like God, like Jesus Christ, progressive sanctification. Now that brings me to something I need to say. Joseph of the, the Old Testament patriarchs is basically spiritually flawless. Does this have something to do with it? That the Spirit of God was in him, perhaps. Perhaps. Vince, you and I want to have a discussion on this one afterwards. <laughs> Uh, you're back there already shaking. Well, you're going to have to wait. <laughs> the difference is when the Spirit of God is within, He works to make us Christ-like, purifies us, cleanses us. As we cooperate with Him and we walk in the Spirit and makes us more and more Christ-like into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Joseph was basically spiritually flawless. If I'm missing something here, all the Old Testament patriarchs, my, we could talk about Abraham, my, many spiritual flaws. Jacob and Esau and oh my, down the, yeah, multitudes of spiritual flaws and sin. Joseph was basically spiritually flawless. I did not say he was 
sinless. I said flawless. There is a difference. If you can think of a flaw, you let me know. I asked my students in India and these other countries, and they helped me a little bit, but they haven't done me much help yet. <laughs> they agree with me. Yes, yeah, so just like David, Joseph knew God in a living reality relationship. How old was Joseph when he had the dream? Come on now. 17. Is that right? Yeah. How old are you guys? Uh-huh. Yes. All right. Joseph leaves us a great challenge of example. Could have never done it outside of knowing his God. Joseph had this dream of exaltation, and we're not going to look at it. We're going to just go along here. Joseph had this dream of prosperity and exaltation and just a glimpse of his dream. But what happened after the dream? Yes, his brothers became angry. His brothers became full of envy and jealousy and exactly the opposite. But then God took Joseph's just exactly the opposite direction. Down, down, his brothers envious and jealous and down into a pit. And if you're a Bible reader, you know the story. And I know your Bible readers. Eventually, they sold Joseph to the Midianites. That Midianites, yes, that were passing by. And Joseph finds himself in Egypt. Those, his older brothers, they majorly hurt him and wronged him. It tells us in one of the Psalms, they had his fetters in iron and he cried. Joseph was really hurt. Now he has a vision and a, a dream to do a work for God. And everything is going exactly the opposite direction. It makes no sense for Joseph. But let's remember one thing. What's going on? Remember that when you're when in school, the teacher is silent during a test. Do you remember those days? You had tests, exams? What was the teacher doing? Well, the teacher in Joseph's life, God is doing something. God is preparing Joseph. So if his brothers sold down to Egypt, it's pretty much the same as David. And then, of course, we know he ends up down in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife. Joseph is a young man tempted by an attractive, powerful Egyptian woman. And... Uh, but then what does Joseph do in this test? The New Testament scripture teaches that you flee youthful lusts. Is that right? Second Timothy chapter two, verse, uh, why don't I just get that? 22 says, Paul tells Timothy, second Timothy two twenty-two. I think we looked at this verse before briefly, but I just want to grab it one more time. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Joseph practiced this. How many years before did this happen? Come on, this afternoon. Anybody remember the number? It was up there. Over a thousand years before. Joseph practiced. This excites me. Joseph, as a youth, lived out 
future inspired scripture before it was ever penned in that something spirit of god was in him and he when yes how can i do this great wickedness and sin against god now i want you to just start to get a glimpse joseph is keeping his heart pure for a purpose what's the purpose yes to please god but a greater purpose so God can fulfill his dream and vision. Joseph understood if God is going to have his way with me and honor me in the promise that he made, in the work that he's calling me to do, I will keep my heart pure for God so he can use me. Purity with a purpose, young people. Purity with a purpose. Purity with a purpose. Yes, to please God. But it's bigger than that. So God can use me. Right here. I mean, Joseph is far away from home. His brothers have hurt him. He has a pool of pain. And he doesn't understand what's going on. He's hurting inside. But right here, Joseph could have finally had just a little reward for all the wrongs that come his way. You know, that kind of mentality. Well... Just a little fling. It's just a little thing. No, it's not. Defiles you. Joseph's run from her. In fact, not Joseph. He did not only say no. Look at this. Genesis 39. Look at this. This, this really inspires me, and I want it to inspire you. Genesis 39, verses 10. Verse 10 and the... B, the Bible says that uh, he's speaking here. Let me just drop in at verse 9. There's none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me. Talking about Pharaoh, I'm sorry, Potiphar, but thee. You don't belong to me, you belong to Potiphar, because thou art his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Why? Because he has a holy jealousy over his heart to keep it pure. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or even to be with her. Brothers, God is still looking for this kind of purity. Jealousy of a pure heart. He, if she was outside somewhere and uh, he was anywhere nearby, he fled into the house. But if he was in, he would not even be by her, near her. And if she was in the, in the house and he came in or for whatever, wherever she was, he would flee. He would Day by day, day by day. Isn't that what it says? Day by day. He had, he would have nothing, absolutely nothing. He wouldn't flirt with her. He wouldn't even get close to her. God is still looking for young men to do a work for him that have that kind of holy jealousy for a pure heart. Amen? Amen. And I want to 
And we know she really wronged him. She hurt him in a false accusation. But I want you to know that he even forgave her. You see, forgiveness, brothers and sisters, there's two major principles in the life of Joseph that I see. The first and foremost one is Joseph understood the sovereignty of God. Joseph understood that he was being tested for a purpose. He understood that. And Joseph rested in the sovereignty of God. Young people, thinking of marriage, rest in the sovereignty of God. In every area of life, Joseph understood that that which God's power could have stopped, that he wouldn't be tempted. God chose not to. It went through his hand. And Joseph understood that. Thereby, that's the foundation of forgiveness. Forgiveness is rooted in understanding the sovereignty of God. Did you get that? He forgave her because he knew that God allowed it for a purpose. And rather than becoming bitter, he became better. He forgave her. How do I know he forgave her? Many years later, he was in a position way beyond, above Potiphar. Joseph could have, I could just imagine Potiphar's wife. She was rattling in her boots. Her knees were rattling. Joseph had every lawful right to reach back and kill her. How do you think she felt? Whew. Did he? Why? He forgave her. He understood the sovereignty of God in all of us. He was going through a test. Yes. Well, we know that he ends up in a prison. Far away from his father. Far away from his brothers, his family. He's all alone. The only fellowship he has in an Egyptian dungeon is, you got it, rats. Rats, yeah. Why am I here? Joseph understood. It's another great experience, bitter experience for Joseph. And he ends up in a... And all the while, brothers and sisters, Joseph is the most upright man in all of Egypt. And don't forget the Spirit of God is in him. What has he done wrong? Nothing. God is preparing him and testing him for a work that he has for him. And I believe Joseph somewhat understood. He didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. But just like you, you are also in training in everyday situations and circumstances of life, in preparation, like David. Same thing, difficulties in life, hard things, things you don't understand. With your heart clear, with the Spirit of God in you, Jesus Christ in you, the Father in you. Isn't that what we heard? Rest in His sovereignty, what He has for you. When things are coming your way that are difficult, just see it. Don't blame it on your, don't shift some blame. Don't blame it on your papa. Don't blame it on your brothers. Don't blame it on somebody else. Just say, okay, God, you have a purpose in this. I want to get better and not better. That's Joseph. 
He's growing and getting better. But there's another principle I clearly see in Joseph that I believe Joseph understood, and that's this. Joseph understood in all of this pain and hurt, God is able to redeem tragedy into triumph. Did you get that? God is able to redeem tragedy and make it a triumph. He can transform tragedy into triumph. Amen? The whole plan of redemption, dearly beloved, is wrapped up in that principle. The whole plan of redemption, the princes of this world, they took Jesus, arrested him, had him scourged, beat the flesh off of his back, and finally they hung him on a cross and nailed him to a cross. And while Jesus Christ is hanging there on a cross, God the Father laid the sin of the world upon Jesus. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who never sinned once, became a sin offering once and for all, for all the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. And he paid the wages of sin, which is death. He paid it in full, and he died. And he was buried. But hallelujah, what happened on the third day? God the Father or, yeah, whatever your theology is. He raised from the dead. God redeemed tragedy and made it a triumph in being a life giver for the whole world. Jesus Christ, amen? I believe Joseph understood that. God is able to transform tragedy into triumph. Beautiful principle of God. Beautiful principle of God that is very difficult as our human finite minds to wrap our brains around it. But it's all based in the sovereignty of God. I'm just going to put this slide up. Blessed are the pure in heart. I said we'll look at it some other time, but I don't know that we will tonight. Well, why don't I just go, just put it up here one more time. Joseph is a beautiful example of this. Blessed are the pure in heart, thus said the Lord Jesus Christ, for they shall see God. Blessed, this word blessed is a very important word. This is where I really enjoy other languages. The English language and the English translation in our King James Version doesn't really give us the depth of the meaning. This word blessed, I like what the German Bible says. Yeah, I can speak some German. The German Bible says selig. The word selig means saved. Saved. That's exactly what it means. That is a far better translation than what we often say happy. Is that what you guys, what, do you, what do you, have you heard that the word blessed means? To be envied. That's also very good. That's excellent. Yes. That's also very good. Or you could say in a more broader term, found a place of special accepted favor with God. Special accepted favor with God. Blessed are the pure in heart. But there's something else here, for they shall see God. A number of years ago, I was memorizing these scriptures, and I came to this one, I just parked on it, and I went deep into the, Searching the heart of God, searching, God, what are you saying? Is this future or is this today? And that morning I was going to a prayer meeting in Grenada, the West Indies, when we were there as missionaries. And I came around the corner and I had been asking God, is that for present or is it future tense? And uh, 
came around the corner and it was a twisted, turny road and the road, it was a little, little wet. And all of a sudden there came a van, like a minivan came the other way and he lost control and came right over in my lane. He was right there in front of me. I don't even know to this day. I swung the wheel around a little bit and there was a drainage ditch over here and a drop off. And, and I, to this day, have no idea how we got by each other without even doing a scrape. Nothing. And afterwards, the brothers that were with me, there was a number of brothers. Mr. Raymond, how did you do that? I said, I don't know. We were all just amazed and shocked. And then all of a sudden, God showed up. He said, did you see me? Ah, oh, I did see you. You did that. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. They're going to be keenly aware of the presence of God working in their lives and working in the lives of others. Now, I like that. I like that. And that's exactly what David seen too, didn't he? He's seen God work in his own life and he's seen God work in Saul. Same thing. Same thing with Joseph. Same thing with Joseph. But here it is again. What does it really mean? Pure in heart. Singleness of heart towards God. God warns us about having a double affection, an evil of. I'm not going to turn to it. Sometimes just study those scriptures. Matthew 6, 24, a single affection heart for God. Singular affection. Why don't I just quick get it? I, I, somehow I can't let it go. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says this. Very important to understand. Teaching of Jesus The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, that word evil simply means not single. can be double. There can be more than one affection. There can be two affections. There can be three affections. Yes, but take note what he says. But if thine eye be not single or evil, verse 23, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Ouch! God will not share his glory with another. Single affection. Yes, no man can serve two masters. You cannot have two affections. You're going to either hate the one and love the other, or love the one and hate the other. God made your heart that way, dearly beloved. Single-hearted affection. I know it says money, but it can be many things. It can be many things. No hypocrisy, not a stage player or a hypocrite. No guile, sly, cunning, clever, crafty. And I relate these as I work through these, usually with some old, old Testament characters, but not tonight. No hidden selfish motives, Esau. Open, honest, and transparent heart. Nothing is hidden. And you young men, I really appreciate it, the way you open your hearts in the prayer meeting time. I want to bless you, the one I was in. I want to bless you. I was really encouraged with that. You got honest, Amen. Most of you in my prayer group, you men were getting honest. I, I, real, I bless you for that. 
uncompromising desire to always please God. Very important. Pure in heart is far more than just an external moral purity. It is that, like Joseph, but pure in heart is an internal purity of soul, mind, will, and emotions. Mind, will, and emotions. Hang on to that one. Focusing on seeing God. Seeing God. Why? He has a work for me. He has a work for me. I want to keep my heart pure so he can work through me to bring blessing and life to others as a life giver. And that's what we're going to see in Joseph. All right. Proverbs 4.23, as we get a little more practical, get down to earth on this media thing and keeping the heart pure. Proverbs 4.23 says this. We're going to get back to Joseph in the very end. Hopefully we have time. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. God says that to all of us in this room, but especially our dear young people. For out of it are the issues of life. Brothers and sisters, we live our lives out of our hearts. We already heard that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speakers. But well, how did I relate it? Ah, the iPhone or the iPod or the Android or whatever you want to put in there plays. Yes. The Hebrews had a very interesting definition of this word heart. And what it comes down to is the seat of desire. Write that down, young people. The seat of desire. Let me explain to you. The story is told of an old hermit that lived up in the Himalayan mountains. And the day came that they, down in the village, they began to uh, import bananas. Uh, that region don't have bananas. And uh, he, came, he was walking, he walked down off the mountain. And uh, there there was, uh, at the market, there was a hand of bananas. And he walked by and he stopped and he looked at that and he said, what is that? And the uh, market owner said, uh, that is a banana. Here, try one. The old hermit said, whoa. No. He said, I have more desires in my heart already that I can live with. I do not want to awaken a new desire. Now you say, nonsense. That's crazy. Well, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Be careful, dearly beloved, that you do not awaken a desire in your heart that you cannot live with, with a holy place, temple in your heart. Careful, dearly beloved. Very careful. That's what it is. Guard your heart. Be careful. You see, this is where Esau blew it. He awakened a desire, the, the food, the hunt, the chase, the cook, the competition of it, 
all that and this desire, the oftener he did it, it became stronger and stronger and stronger. And it, it became such a strong subconscious desire. I want to do it again. And the oftener he did this, and it wasn't necessarily wrong, was it? No, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, food, the hunting, the chase, the compet the spirit of it all. I don't know that it was wrong, but he did it so often that he became sensually driven. That's what the Bible says. He valued the sensual, the sensual part higher than the spiritual. And he had the birthright, like you do. You have the birthright in Christ Jesus. He had it. But you know what he did? He became so sensual because he did not value it that he sold it. How did he sell it? He became so sensually driven that he be became profane. What does the word profane mean? It means he defiled the holy place in his heart. That's exactly what it means. He was outside of the temple. That was Esau, but that's what happened. We have to be very, very careful. You see, Esau became addicted. He, be he had a vice, a bondage. And it defiled him. And we heard a lot about Edom, didn't we? Edom, remember Edom? Careful, young people. Now, let's get a little more practical. We'll get back to Joseph again. Transformed by the renewing of the mind. I believe this was a key to purity and in faithfulness for Joseph. Joseph had many opportunities to defile his heart. Multitudes with bitterness, with anger, with... Oh, had so many opportunities, but he would not. How did he get the victory? How did he overcome? I'm going to give you some principles that I believe is how Joseph kept his heart and sp spirit and soul, mind, pure. Here we go. Romans 12, 1, three, one through 3. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Well, we heard that a number of times. But why is this so important? So that you... Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is a renewing of the mind. We must find a way by surrendering all to have our minds renewed. Newt. That's where I want to go with this. Renewing of the mind. If Joseph would have dwelled on the hurts and the pains that his brothers and uh, Potiphar's wife and all Joseph's mind, he would have defiled his heart. But he kept his heart with all diligence that he will not defile it. He had a way to renew his mind, I suggest. Now, Look, pursuing the pure heart of God, understanding the biblical law of the mind. Romans chapter 8, 
Romans chapter 8 says this. Let's uh, just drop in uh, at the end of verse 7. Paul is speaking about how that the things that he knows he should do, he does not do. And the things that he knows he should not do is what he does. Does that sound familiar sometimes? Hmm? I hope not. Yeah, but I see some of you young people being honest. I bless you for being honest. But he says, I see another law now in verse 23. My members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul says. Who shall deliver me from this body of this sin? That's going on in my mind, my thought life, my thought patterns. What's going on in my mind? That which I dwell on. Maybe it's that which he should not have been dwelling on, but he was. And he knew he should, but he had no power to overcome. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. There's that Jesus Christ, our Lord, young people. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Whenever you see Jesus Christ, the Lord or the Lord Jesus Christ, what that is really saying, this is what Jesus would tell you if he was here. That's what it really means. Get that, young people. When you see all three of them, the Lord Jesus Christ, I suggest to you, it means this is what Jesus would tell you that you need to hear and do. Did you get that? Chapter 8 break shouldn't be there, but before we go into uh, that, I see in the three laws here, the law of the mind, the law of sin and death, and the law of the spirit of life. That's in the end of verse 3 and into the beginning of chapter 8. There is now therefore, Paul says, here's the answer. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit. There's that walking after the Spirit. There's therefore now no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no judgment to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Remember last night's message? Walking in the Spirit. I don't remember all the big words. Uh, 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 but uh, it's very simple. Do not walk in. You overcome walking in the flesh. There's two laws here. The law of the flesh and the law of the Spirit. But as long as we walk in the Spirit, the law of the flesh is brought into subjection. We'll look at it in a moment. For what the law could not do in that which weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. I think we looked at these scriptures last night. Am I, are you remembering, am I remembering correctly, young people? Am I right? We looked at all of them. As I went through it last, as, as Brother Vince went through it last night, I thought, oh boy, here we're going to do it again. <laughs> well, you know, when God does something twice, maybe it's very needful. Remember Joseph's dream? <laughs> twice? <laughs> It's established in God and it's needful. It's by established by God and it's needful. <laughs> okay, understanding the biblical law of the mind, Romans 8, 1 through 11. Let's take it apart. 
Our minds, dearly beloved, are a battlefield between the flesh and the spirit. There's, that's where the war, the spiritual warfare, goes on right up here in our minds. And we need to beware that perhaps the default setting is the flesh. Therefore, perhaps, and that's what we're going to attempt to change by the renewing of the mind. Perhaps, the, we, because of that, we know the Bible says that in our flesh dwells no good thing. So we need to consider every thought suspicious of the flesh. And we need to be, bring it into the captivity of Christ right at its birth. As you're thinking, as you're going through work or you're driving, and there's different brothers spoke about this, what comes to your mind when you're free? What comes? Bring that thought into captivity. Is that of Christ, the Spirit, or is it of the flesh? Arrest it and be suspicious of it. It might be the flesh. Okay, let's look at it very carefully. It all begins in the mind. Okay, now just to give you a little bit of a process here. It all begins with a thought which results in an action if you don't. Just a normal process. And that action results in a awakening of a desire. Got it? And that desire, the oftener you do it, and it, it begins to make an appeal to your subconscious mind. Oh, that was good. That was fun. That was exciting. That was uh, whatever it, what you want to put in there. And you, the oftener you do it, the stronger that desire becomes. Can be flesh, can be spirit. But we're thinking more on the flesh right here now. We're thinking on the flesh. Well, after a bit, it's a habit. And after a bit, that habit, le habit leads into a lifestyle. And a lifestyle leads into a what? A destiny. Get the pro It can be eternal fire or it can be hallelujah glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need flesh and spirit. Laws of the flesh and the spirit. Okay, you got that? It's very important. Thought life. Very important. Too many youth, I'm not saying it's here. That picture really shouldn't be there yet. But you, that, that, that don't need a lot of explanation, does it? There's that word, trapped, ensnared, addicted. Yeah, not necessarily wrong, but it can be an ensnarement. Paul said he will not be ensnared by anything. Do you understand that picture? I don't have to say much, do I? I see Facebook and many things. Unrenewed minds of the flesh. Here's what it looks like. Mindset on things of the flesh. You see a little later on here, and Brother Vince covered this nicely last night. It says, for to be carnally minded. Verse 6, Romans 8 for to be earthly minded, to be naturally minded. Not necessarily. It can be sinful, of course, but it can just be earthly and naturally minded. You know, just the things of the world, just the things of the earth. It can be a 
many things. Not necessarily wrong. Business and pleasure and fun and, uh, yeah, many things. If that's what you dwell on and you just give, and you have those that time, you're thinking on that. What's happening? To be carnally minded is, come on, help me. You're dying. Repeated patterns of that is dying. Those are strong words. Brothers and sisters, we need to check our thought life. What are we dwelling in? But to be spiritually minded, hallelujah, is life and peace. Verse 6, because the carnal mind is empty with God and on and on we could go, but I'll give it to you up here. Unrenewed minds of the flesh, they resist God's law. Verse 7. Number three, hostile towards God, enmity with God, verse seven. Number four, cannot please God. Nothing good dwells in our flesh. Number five, results in a dying spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is no small. What do you see up there in a picture? What do you see, young man? What do you see in the picture? Uh, man in bondage. Ah, man, that's in an ensnarement. An entrapment. What's up ahead? What's happening? What's about to happen? Yeah, he's, he's going down, isn't he? Yeah, he's in trouble. Let the picture speak. Not all media, 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 I can't even say it is wrong. No. Geared for the flesh, yeah. Five senses, yeah, you got it. Look at that confusion going on there. Thought life. Guard your heart and mind carefully, young people. Maybe more dangerous than you think. To be carnally minded, earthly minded is death. But let's get the positive. After the flesh, here's what it looks like. Mindset on things of the flesh. Resists God's law. Hostile towards God. Cannot please God. Dying, dead spirit. Going down. Bring those thoughts into subjection. Into the subjection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now let's turn this thing around. Let's look at the other end. Yes, I'm going to let that go because we looked at that last night. Maybe this makes a little more sense now. Be careful in your thought life. Because whatsoever you're feeding grows, and then it will control you. And we looked at that in uh, the music thing, so we don't need to look at it again. I could just read it. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this. I had it in here anyhow, and so I left it in from a time. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, even in his thought life, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall to the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let's guard our hearts and minds very carefully. And let's think on spiritual things. Life and peace. Ah, let's get to the, enough of cursing the darkness. Transforming of the mind. Transformed, renewed mind. Now there's something you see right away. What's in the mind? The Word of God. We already talked about that. Memorize it. To chew on it. Ruminate on it. Study it. 
Read it. Spend a good, long, quality time renewing your mind with the Word of God. I'd like to give you some of my testimony, my former life. I was a self-educated man. I could quote all kinds of statistics and facts about mechanics and machines and machine shop and uh, transmissions and clutches and tracks. And I had all the specifications and the formulas. I had it all memorized. Anybody could call me on the phone. I didn't even need to look in the book. I have piston dimensions and I don't want to get in the names of the cows and how much milk they make. I had so much uh, what corn to plant. My mind was full of it. And that's what it was, full of it. Carnality. Earthly things. But when I got saved, I gave myself to the Word of God. I told you this before. And I totally ceased all other study and working with it. No longer dwelled on it. I began to dwell on the Word of God, hiding it in my heart. And today, it's altogether different. The default setting for me is not the flesh. It's spiritual. I dwell on the things of God, in the words of God, the goodness of God. Oh, God says this here. God says that. Wow, love you, God. In those quiet moments, that's what the renewed mind looks like. You discipline yourself to fill your heart and mind with spiritual things. Love of God, the goodness of God, and the wonderful things of God. And he is an awesome God. He's an exciting God. He's a God that's full of life. Look what happens when you choose to do that. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. And that brings in subjection the law of sin and death. Transform mind, number one. Let's just start... Mindset on truth of Jesus Christ. When you do that in your spirit, there's an, there's an, uh, an upsurge of life. It just brings life. Spiritually minded is life. And the more you do it and meditate on it, your spirit rises. There's life and, and there's passion and there's excitement. Many people ask me, where do you get your energy? i tell you, here's where it's at. Right here. Life comes from the Lord. But you must discipline your mind now and fill your mind with the Word of God, a renewed mind. Yes, there's an upsurge of life, and there's life and peace. Life and peace. That's right out of Romans 8, Romans 3, 11. And there's spirit righteousness growth. You'll grow and mature. That's what you're after, right, young men? Young men, ladies? Yes. And in Christ Jesus, you're free from the law of sin and death. And you're free to walk in the Spirit. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after, in the Spirit, after the Spirit. Young people, I suggest to you, this renewed mind principle is how Joseph had victory over defilement, bitterness, and retaliation. He wasn't in Christ Jesus, but he had the Spirit. Hallelujah. And you do too. Here's the picture. Now let's start here. See now the upward. We're going up. Rather than down, we're going up. Mindset on the truth of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. 
meditating, ruminating, memorizing, reading, pondering, studying, and on Jesus Christ and His goodness. And His goodness leads us to repentance when we fail. Upsurge of spirit life, inner life and peace. Say spirit righteousness growth. This is right out of Romans 8. In Christ Jesus and free from the law of sin and death. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. What a beautiful principle. I suggest to you, this is how we have victory over. We need to sift through our media things. And is it upbuilding? Or is it taking me down? If it's a bondage, verse Vince. Well, what, what for, he used some nice terminology last night about if your foot offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Sounded sort of fatalistic, but it was a, it's Jesus said that. Maybe you have to put it away and take a fast if it has you in bondage. Let's search our hearts carefully. That, you know, the, the games and the media, I will not young people. I will not read my Bible on my phone. Why? Distractions. All of a sudden a notification comes in from my dear brother from Egypt or my dear brother from Malawi, Africa or my dear brother from uh, uh, Egypt, uh, Nepal, India. Distracts. Distracts. And I like to respond. So I read my Bible from my hard copy. So I'm familiar with it. I encourage you to do the same. I'm not saying it's wrong to read from your phone, but it can so quickly when notification things come distract you and take you away. Careful. Keep your heart. Joseph's dream became a vision. God has a work for me. Purpose of purity of heart. So God can use me to be a life giver. And so it was. Joseph brings life and blessing wherever he goes. Joseph goes to prison. He brings the Lord was with him. There we go. And he brings life, prosperity. Yes, Joseph became a life giver. His vision and reality became true. Yes, and in the prison, Joseph, the Lord was with him. His mind was clear so he could bring life. His life, mind was pure and heart so he could bring life to others. Yes, and finally he brought life to his father and his brethren and their little ones. And finally, when it's all said and done, Joseph was a life giver to the known world. Why? Because he had pure, purposeful purity that God could use him to become a life giver. Well, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Yes. Jesus said in John 7, 37, If any man is thirsty, let him drink. Come to me and drink. And as the scripture has said, out of his heart, that pure heart, full of spiritual life, full of an upsurge of life, it will flow out and he will be a river of life. Just a little sprinkle? No. Just a little splash? No. And river of life. How is it, brothers and sisters? How is it? Is my heart so full of life of the Lord Jesus Christ that I can't keep it in. It just flows out. And I'm a river of life, a river of bringing blessing to others. How is it here tonight? 
a river of life. You see, there's two things, brothers and sisters, that'll stop that river of life. Yea, three. Number one, there's no inflow. But I think much higher of you than that, young people. I know there's inflow. There's been a lot of inflow for how many days now, man? You're full. It's time to get that river flowing. You get that chance tomorrow. Amen? Inflow. So, but you have the inflow. The other thing that'll stop that river, if there's no outflow, the wheel gets full, fat, full of life, and satisfied. Stops. Powerless. Powerless. But we're not of that kind. Amen? We're not of such like. We will the outflow. Speaking life, bringing life unto others, the gospel of life, the gospel of peace, the gospel of good things, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Start right now, young people. Be a life giver. Right in this group, Joseph started right where God had him. When he was down there, Potiphar's wife, the Lord, Potiphar's house, I meant to say, the Lord was with him. And he brought life. Even though he didn't fully understand what God all had for him, he started right where he was. He brought the Lord into the situation, and there was prosperity, life. When he went to prison, he didn't wait till it was all, he just got busy doing what the Lord wanted him to be a life giver, be a blessing giver. Young people, speak life into others. I bless you, young men, for the way you sit there right now. I mean, you're sitting on the edge of your seat just saying, preacher, come on, let me have it. You're hungry, you're thirsty. Amen. Sisters, I bless you in Jesus' name for your modesty, your simplicity, your holiness, your separation, your heads beautifully covered, and your clear countenance. I bless you in Jesus' name. You're a blessing. Don't let anybody ever tell you anything different. But don't keep that blessing. I gave it to you. <laughs> you go give it to somebody else. Be a life giver. You start at home. You start right at home. You start right where you are. Be a life giver. Be a blessing giver. Do you notice how many times I blessed you? I did that on purpose. Are you doing that? Are you a life giver? The inflow is meant for outflow. Speaking life unto others is the overflow. Drinking from the Lord Jesus Christ is the inflow. And he's looking for you to flow that out and be a blessing to others. Father, we thank you for Joseph being such a beautiful principle of this. He kept his heart pure so that you could use him to be a life giver. Lord, today we are faced with technology and things like that that can so easily and quickly bring us into a bondage and an ensnarement. Lord, help us to guard our hearts carefully that we do not get ensnared or trapped. Lord, I pray your protection over these dear young people. Protect them, Lord. Help them understand the ensnarement of it. 
not necessarily evil things, but things that will trap and draw us away from drinking from you and your word and walking with you in the spirit. Protect our dear young people. Lord, help them understand that we love them as elders. We appreciate them and we're here to help them. Lord, may they sense that love and that care and that desire to help them if their needs be. Thank you that this is a safe place for them to get honest and be true to you and each other. So bless everyone here tonight that we truly would be in Christ Jesus and drinking from you and being a life giver. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Do I turn it back to... Uh, Let's, uh, let's do one more thing, uh, Brother Pete. Can we do this? Let's just uh, bow our heads. Can we do that? Is that all right, Pete? Can we just bow our heads? And every eye closed. I just realized uh, the Lord nudged me that potentially maybe the Lord was speaking to you about something whether it was an addiction or an ensnarement or just the fact that maybe you've not been drinking the way that you, deeply from the Lord Jesus. Or it could be that the river hasn't been flowing. You have not been speaking life into others and giving life to others. And God spoke to your heart. God just ministered to your heart. It just give you an opportunity just to Slip up your hand and say, Lord, that's me. You don't have to get up front. Just slip up your hand. Yes, Lord. The Lord sees your hand, brother. Anyone else? Yes. Elbows above the ears if you're serious. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for everyone that heard your voice tonight. Lord, you know who they are. You know what they're dealing with. Just help yourself to them, Lord. Hear their cry. Hear their hearts. Lord, I pray you would meet their needs as they continue to have their hands high in the air. Lord, thank you that you're a merciful, gracious God. When we come and the goodness of the Lord leads us to repentance, thank you that you, Lord, receive us right where we are, just as I am, Lord. Here we are. We need you. We need forgiveness. We need direction. We need to be more careful in walking in the Spirit and guiding, and guiding our hearts into all truth. We look to you, Lord. Meet every need here according to your will. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen.